Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Wayman Wednesday. That means you're about to hear a message from the founder of our fellowship, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. Even though he entered into his reward and is in the presence of our Lord, we still need to hear his clarion call to faithfulness, holiness, discipleship, and commitment to the cause of Christ. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, quite a lengthy portion of scripture there. Uh, probably could preach from the whole chapter, but uh, verse 10 would be a good place to begin. In Paul's teaching, he is teaching concerning spiritual graces. And uh, somewhere over in, um, uh, in Corinthians, he says that the greatest of the spiritual graces is love. Now, when he says that, he, uh, he's not talking about uh, some feeling or some emotion or transitory emotion that we may have from time to time. Uh, and uh, he's not talking about something we feel at all, as a matter of fact. But what he's talking about when he says the excellence of the grace of love, he's talking about something uh, or some, uh, some enactment of human action that, that, uh, that uh, is our portion, something that we actually do in light of the responsibility that we have in the revelation of God's Word, in our relationships, either to the commands of God or our relationship with our fellow man. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about love. He's not talking about some, some popular song that's on the radio. The greatest happening today is how you conducted yourself in the light of God's Word in the relationship with your fellow man. That's the greatest happening today. And that's the kind of principle that Paul was talking about when he talked about love. And that's such a tremendous uh, passage of Scripture here that I'd like to share with you, beginning with verse 10 and clear through the end of the chapter. If I could be allowed to share that with you responsively, I'll read verse 10. You read verse 11, Matthew 18. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the faith of my Father which is in heaven. How think you, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. (laughs) 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Now, read verse 35 out loud for me. Praise the Lord. This entire chapter is a part of the instruction of the Lord Jesus to us as individuals. And uh, none of this is disconnected, but all of it is tied together in one grand dissertation of divine revelation concerning human relations and their relationship to uh, their Heavenly Father. Now, I want to just examine for a moment, if I could, the value of an individual. Someone has said in our generation, no man is an island. Someone else has said these words, which I found somewhere, God has given to every individual soul some gift that is unique and peculiar to itself, some delicate tint that it alone can add to the great picture, some tone that no other soul can sound for. Now here is an illustration of the value of an individual. There is not a single soul in life, but what is viewed in God's sight, every single individual make up some strand of the overall and the grand uh, picture of the eternal working of God in the earth with humanity. There isn't a single human being that is expendable. There isn't a single human being that is unimportant. There's not a single soul that uh, is uh, without value. There isn't a single individual that God does not look upon with an infinite value and that he does not esteem with, uh, with tremendous worth. Now, this is a truth of God's word. This is especially needful in the present generation in which we are because our generation, you've heard me say it, is robbed of this very truth. We are simply a statistic fed in a computer on somebody's records a number in somebody's machine. We just simply are a faceless individual walking with the faceless masses down the highways of life. And in our generation, perhaps as no other generation in the history of the world, the individual is lost sight of and is discounted as being valuable. We've seen the uh, peak expressions of that in two ideologies of my generation. We saw in the in the manifestation of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime, we saw uh, people being treated merely as, as hunks of flesh that were to be paraded or exterminated or moved from place to place according to their value to the overall whole. And we've seen this also in the uh, Soviet uh, manifestation of what they call socialism. So in our generation, 
We are contending with this very fact, and you and I, every day, friend, we come up against this very principle, and when we have to find our place uh, in order to become a person, we have to discover actually what we are and our place in the overall scheme. And I want you to know that in God's Word, this is established as at no other place, in, in no other writings, in no other uh, individual place, but in God's Word, this is established. This most important truth is probably one of the most important truths in all of God's Word is the value of the individual. Now, here we saw in the scripture that we read, Jesus said that there is to be no loss that is to be tolerated. <laughs> Praise God. I've seen a lot of times that that made me just feel really, really good. You ever felt like that? Sometimes I feel like a blob. Or sometimes I feel worse than a blob. Have you ever felt like that? Just like you were, here you were, and unimportant, nobody cared, nobody knew, nobody understood. Uh, there was nothing that was related, and here you were just floating along like a chip on a stream, and nobody cared, you just... Uh, uh, faceless, insignificant man. But you see, God's Word says, and Jesus said, that there's to be no loss tolerated in the kingdom of God. And he says this tremendous truth to us that we need to come to grips with, that the loss of even one to the church of Jesus Christ is to be regarded as a great loss. And he, and he uses the imagery of children, and he says that they're to be viewed as precious and as precious as if we lost one of our own children. Every believer that is born into the family of God, that is washed in the blood, that is redeemed by the blood of Christ, is to be viewed as being as valuable as if we lost one of our own family, because indeed that's exactly what believers are. They're a part of the family of God, and they're to be viewed as as precious as little children. And then he, he, he drives home this point, that we are to be cautious that we are not to be the cause of the loss of one person from the church of Jesus Christ. Now this is the essence of this first part of the chapter that is there. Jesus said in, in Matthew 18, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father uh, who is in heaven. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Isn't that tremendous? Goes on to say that no effort is to be spared, no amount of energy that is to be spared to maintain our relationship one with another, uses the imagery of the lost sheep and the ninety and nine in the foe, one lost, and he uses the imagery that, that there's no amount of effort to be spared to maintain and to restore fellowship and relationship among the body of Jesus Christ and that not one loss is to be tolerated and that we are to take a special care that we not be the ones that cause that loss. Now that's a tremendous thought of the value of the individual. And if you're here this morning and you are visiting and uh, and you're looking for something that will give you a, a sense of identity and a place to function where you feel worth something, you need to get connected with the kingdom of God. You need to get connected with a part of the family of God because the fundamental teaching of God's word as at no other place is that the individual is of infinite worth to God. 
and this is especially so to the church, that we are to be very careful that we be maintaining our relationship uh, one with another and that we be not the cause of offense or loss to a single soul. Praise God. Give steps to reestablish, gives the directions of concern, gives the establishes the value and, uh, and, uh, and the estimate of, of every single believer within the kingdom of God. My friend, that makes me feel really good this morning. Does that help you this morning? You see, here's the answer for the, the person that, uh, that is a nobody and this place is filled with nobodies, including one of them preaching. People who, as far as the world is concerned, are of no significance. As far as the world is concerned, we are unimportant. You could remove us and the world wouldn't shed a tear. We have made no great impact upon the world. We have made no great ways. Our name is hardly heard or known outside the circle of our own friends. But God says there's not a single one of those common people of individual, there's not a single one that's washed in the blood and born into the family of God. God says not a one of them is insignificant. None of them is, is, is to be lost. None of them is to be tolerated as being alienated. Not a single one is to just be uh, counted as expendable. But every single one of them is of infinite value. Praise the Lord. Now, there's another thought that bears relationship to that, and this is a companion thought, and that is the importance of the church or the assembly as a whole. Now, this is lost in the flurry of activity and, and uh, demonstration of what our generation calls the church or what uh, it may have the form that it may have taken in the, in the present hour. I was going down in Phoenix the other day, and and we drive by this massive establishment, and it had towers and halls and rooms and real estate in the city of Phoenix, and there was a sign about twelve foot long, three foot high, and on that sign said "Bingo!" every Friday seven thirty. It wasn't hard to tell where the action was in that place. Where the exciting thing was taking place uh, was Friday night when we gather around uh, and in the facility of the church. We play bingo. Thank you, Jesus. Say, so how do you know that's the most prominent? Because that was the most prominent sign. It wasn't revival. It wasn't behold the workings of God. God loves you and can save you and change you. Where the action was bingo, 7.30 Friday night. And if you don't believe that, you ought to go down there and, and check it out one of these days, and I bet you'd find out that that's true. You see, the world looks at that, friend, and no wonder that the church is discounted and no one takes uh, the professing church of Jesus Christ seriously. <laughs> Children of God, the family of God, representative mediators between uh, sinful man and, uh, and, uh, and a holy God. Here we stand. What is your main activity? Bingo, 7.30 on Friday night. Or you will find a big ad uh, up on the church parking lot and uh, what the ad says is, is uh, rummage sale. 
Glory to God. Now that's a refreshing activity. We gather together a bunch of old rags and patch them up, get the goodies together, secondhand merchandise, and here's the children of God, the representative of Jesus Christ, God's voice on earth, and it's out selling secondhand merchandise. Or we find them downtown with their tables all spread out, and what this is, you say, what are you doing? We're having a bake sale for mission. What's mission for? We're going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. What are you doing now? We're having a bake sale. Well, how much do you take in from that? Oh, we generally, in a good day, we'll take in $28.50. Dollars and 50 cents, that is. <laughs> Amen. Well, one man working hard could produce that in one day, and if you could just get a few of them to share, man, you could quadruple that 400 times over. No wonder that the, the world does not take the professing church seriously when we're involved in everything except the very thing that God says we are to be involved in and there's a fulfillment in Scripture. Paul prophesied and said in the last days men will have a form of godliness but they'll be devoid of power. They'll be professing, they'll be functioning, they'll have an outward form, but they'll be devoid of power and authority. Nothing will be transpiring, and the world does not take that kind of church seriously, friend. But you see, that isn't really the church. Oh, glory to God. I can tell I'm hair-lipping the devil this morning, and everybody's getting nervous. I don't care if your granddaddy's church, they had bake sales every week and car washes and rummage sales and bingo games. It doesn't matter, friend. What I'm talking about is the Word of God. This makes you nervous? Well, the Lord bless you. You ought, to, you ought to just hang with me here and see what the Word of God said. You see, the Bible declares, these verses that we read this morning, that the church of Jesus Christ has divine sanction. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth, Jesus said, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he says, this is the, this is the position of the church. They have authority with God. They have power with God. They have sanction with God. They have representation with God. And he says, now this is to be my instrument that's to bring about my will. And this is especially so in the relationship that uh, his people have one to another. So then Jesus goes into the discourse of giving instruction concerning upsets and concerning misunderstandings and, and, uh, and uh, so on among the family of God. And he says, if your brother has sinned against you or wronged you, you go to him and sit down with him and talk it over with him. And if you can't come to conclusion, then get a couple of good brothers or sisters and you go with uh, them and you sit down and see if you can come to conclusion, bring the Word of God to bear on it and the presence of the Holy Spirit on it. And then if that doesn't work and it's still uh, too uh, uh, complicated to unravel, then bring it before the church. Uh, and if the church can't unravel it, and, uh, and gives a judgment on it. And if the person involved will not hear the voice of the church, then God says from heaven, let him be as an heathen man and a publican. He has no part in the kingdom of God, and it is a contradiction to profess faith in God and then not hear what his church has to say. Praise the Lord. See, it's impossible, Jesus said, but offenses may come. How many of you have ever uh, uh, ever been a part of a family? Let's see your hand. You ever been a part of a family? Ever have any trouble in your family? 
<laughs> Amen. So we have, uh, we have one especially good radio at our house. And that belongs to my boy. He got that for some kind of present. I don't know, Christmas probably. And so uh, every once in a while, there's this explosion over at our house because while he's out doing his business, somebody borrows his radio. And so he comes in. It isn't really that he wants to hear his radio. It's just that somebody has his radio. And so you hear this cry, Give me my radio! Of course, your kids don't raise their voices, do they? Mine do. <laughs> Amen. And then mom and dad has to negotiate and has to... Uh, bring a judgment and a ruling upon. And so we have to tell one of the girls, give him back his radio and keep your hands off of it. <laughs> that's, doesn't that sound spiritual? <laughs> Amen. We see the family of God is not a great deal different than our earthly families. As a matter of fact, it is in our families that we get the greatest expression of some of God's divine truths. And so Jesus said it's impossible, but there's going to be some offenses come and some upsetting of a relationship. But in all of this, he says this is a pattern that you're to use and it's to function in a fundamental principle and home in on it. And he said, my church now has authority to rule and to make judgment and to negotiate and to bring a, a conciliatory judgment. And he said, this is how you're going to do it. And he says, if a man will not hear the church, then he has no right to call himself a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, we, we get around this in America. Uh, we, all we have to do is when, is when things don't go just right like we. We don't have to settle our problems with our fellow man. We just go across town. And then gossip. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Still with me? Anybody ever see, uh, seen anything that uh, looked like that? But see, I'm going to tell you a little secret, friend. And you listen very carefully to me. Don't discount God's word. God's word is with power. And God meant exactly what he had to say. And there's power and authority in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the church, through the Apostle Paul, is Christ's body. It is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. See, it has an importance, and this church has an importance in actively maintaining healing and causing good relations among people that are called by the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to great lengths to make us to understand that a church has authority, has power, and God will help the church and give it an upholding of its words. You see, Samuel, one of the things that was written about Samuel was that God was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. This same truth Jesus reiterates, Paul reiterates, that the church of Jesus Christ is his body 
It is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And the scripture declares in Ephesians 1, another verse that says, And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, this is an exciting thing that God's doing in the present generation in which we live. I know that there's one part of the church that is apostate, that is going on in darkness, but at the same time there is a parallel, there is a group of true believers, not made up of any denomination, but made up of assemblies of people that will take God at His word, begin to live clean and preach His word, and God says, of these, these are my true church. And the exciting thing that God is doing in this generation, friend, is that He is restoring visibly the authority of the church of Jesus Christ within and without. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament by way of illustration of King Jeroboam. And King Jeroboam was caught in, uh, in illicit worship. And there came to him a prophet of God. And as that prophet of God came, uh, he was sent of the Lord to make certain spiritual declarations and here is the, it's found in 1 Kings 13, came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the sayings of the man of God. You see, here he was in the midst of this. The man of God came and prophesied and spoke utterances from God. And Jeroboam just rose up and he got mad and, uh, and he didn't like it at all. And, uh, and he said, uh, as he cried against the altar in Bethel, that King Jeroboam put forth his hands from the altar saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. Boy, I mean, that's a heavy rap. See, he's sitting out here in, in, his, in his great self-importance and his pomp and his splendor. And here comes a simple man of God. I don't know how he was dressed, but I doubt if he was very impressive. And he came in and he spoke against the sin that was being done there. And Jeroboam rose up in his importance and he said, Lay hands on him. And the moment he had his, his arms, just shriveled up like that. And he couldn't even pull it in again. Well, I want to tell you, friend, not hard to function in an atmosphere like that. Amen? You see, the thing that God is doing, listen carefully to me this morning, is that God is establishing this visible authority to the church of Jesus Christ. I have seen over the past 16 years, I have seen God demonstrate again and again, that he is restoring to the church of Jesus Christ a visible authority, a vindication of the words of those that actually are walking in the will of God and are standing and speaking the word of God. You see, when you and I stand, my friend, void of personal ambition and of our own personal uh, manipulations, and we stand as children of God, allied with the church of Jesus Christ, boldly proclaiming, my friend, when we do that, I declare to you that God vindicates our words. This is a, this is a chilling thought. And I trust this morning that you look carefully at the Word of God because it actually is so, regardless of whether anybody goes out of here this morning with a withered arm, I declare unto you that God is restoring and I've seen some fantastic demonstration of the very fact that I'm talking about this morning. God is dealing with His body 
crossing all denominational boundaries, reaching into groups of many kinds, and of all of those that are true believers in Jesus Christ, he is fantastically vindicating his word through true believers and demonstrating visibly to our generation. You cannot simply discount them as being people. They are people speaking in the presence of God and for God. Now, if you don't believe that, why, well, God love you, you just go and take your licks. But I could uh, sit down for a couple of hours and give you uh, fact after fact and case after case where people have thought that it didn't make any difference. All we, this is no better than a lodge. If I don't like the Masonic Lodge, I'll just go join the Elks. <laughs> One's, one lodge is just about as good as the other. Well, lodges are about as good as the other. And some churches are about as good as the other, too. But a Bible-preaching church where God's presence is and where God actually moves by His Spirit and demonstrates and that are flowing with His purpose and not their own design, not building themselves a kingdom or seeking to exalt man or lift up man, I declare to you that God will vindicate His words then. And this is especially true in the mediation among people and the bringing together of relationship. And Jesus said, you need to bring to pair and bring to power the church of Jesus Christ upon the effects. First of all, let's just let's spell it out there. First of all, you got a problem with your, with your fellow uh, believer, go talk to him. Say, look, friend, you know, here's how I feel uh, about you. You know what I think? I think you're a fink. <laughs> Say, no, well, I'm not a fink. Listen, you got finks all wrong. <laughs> Amen. You're not a fink, Bob. <laughs> and so you sit down together, and the Holy Spirit, if both of you love God and you want to obey God, the Holy Spirit will bring to pass an understanding and the love of God. See, we're talking about love still, in the love of God, and he'll bring it out. And, and nine times out of ten, the word says uh, that'll solve that problem. But if that isn't sufficient, and so you've had a little agreement, misagreement, and, and you can't come together, if, if you're just really a difficult case, then you bring it before the authorities of the church. And let them sit down together and see if they speak for the body. And he says, if you won't hear your brother and you won't hear uh, those who are, who are brought to help you and you won't hear those who are in authority in the church, then you won't hear anybody. And why don't, why don't you quit professing to even to be a Christian and just go out and, and be what you really are, which is a heathen and like a man that works for the IRS. <laughs> That's what a publican was. <laughs> Praise God. Are you with me this morning? Quickly, before we run out of time, I, wanna, I want you to look and, and look at the key to power because the Lord gives that to us. And the key to power, you see, isn't some pilgrimage off to Springfield or, or Angeles Temple or off to Cleveland, Tennessee or, or uh, Alabama or something. That's that, that where the key to power is. He gives the key to power right in this verse of Scripture. Here is what releases the blessing of God. This is what releases the working of the Holy Spirit. This is what brings to pass. And here's the key. It's found right in this Scripture. And it's a tremendous truth that you better not discount. You see, as I said in the Sunday school class this morning, we Americans are victims of the thinking of the American uh, psychology, which is, I'm a voter, I'm independent, 
I'm free. Don't tell me what to do. Don't give me any direction. I'll do this and I'll do that if I don't like this. And, and we're, we're victims of that kind of psychology. We're victims, I said, of that kind of action. And so when we start to church, we just transfer it right into church. Amen. Ford doesn't make the right noises. Say, I'm going to get you in November, buddy. <laughs> Amen. State representative doesn't answer your letter the way he, he ought to. You say, you just wait. I'm going to get you. So when we come into church, we come into church, and the preacher doesn't make exactly the noises that we're wanting to hear, and we say, I'll get you, buddy. Or the saints of God uh, are, are not acting exactly like we think they ought to, and so we, in our mind we say, I'll get you, I'll fix you. Listen to what I'm saying this morning, friend. We're not going to fix anybody. The great fixer is running the entire program, and man, how he can overhaul. And the release of the entire fact is in this scripture. I read a, I was reading a thing in a, in a book a while back, and uh, it's a true story about Titusville, Pennsylvania. Man had a farm in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And as he's on that farm, he got sick and tired of farming. He wrote a, co a cousin of his up in Canada, and in those days, coal oil was the big thing, and coal oil largely flowed out of, uh, of apertures of the earth where uh, prehistoric uh, fluids were were uh, uh, forming and so on and so forth, and ran down streams and so on. And so as he, as he was there, he wrote his, uh, his cousin in Canada who was in the oil business, and he said, I'm tired of farming. I want to get into the oil business. Would you give me a job? And his cousin wrote back to him and said, you don't know anything about oil. You better just stay to farming. So it made him mad. He started studying. He went to, went to college, got a degree in, in engineering, and went all the way back to the very root and start of oil and studied the whole process. And finally, when he, when he got uh, trained and he got his degree, he sold out his farm for $833 and went to Canada to work for his cousin so that he could become a great oil man and discover oil. And his predecessor, man who succeeded him rather, who came on the farm, found a plank that this man had put in the upstream to divert some old cruddy scum off to the side because the cattle wouldn't drink and to divert the waters and make a place for them, a pool for them to drink. He pulled that plank out, and there he discovered one of the richest stores of coal oil in history. <laughs> and that farm that had been sold for $833 was worth a thousand millions of dollars in Titusville, Pennsylvania. See, spiritually, you and I are, are like, well, here we got, here we've got the, the load. Here, here, this is the load right here. This is the source. This is the wellhead right here. And so we'll run off somewhere and write somebody a letter and we're gonna, we're gonna massage their prayer cloth and get in on their goodie and get their prayer list and all of this thing when the source is right here for the wellheads right here. We'll just take it for what it says. See, Psalms 133 says these beautiful words, Behold, and how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the head, the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments like the dew of Hermon and like the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life 
forevermore. See, the key to power, the wellhead of this whole thing is right here in the words that we, that we read and, 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 and they're there. They're found in relationship and the 35th verse in that speaks of the relationship and it says forgiveness of heart. You see, the Jews, they said in Jesus' day, now if a man wrongs me, then I'll forgive him three times, but the fourth time, I don't have to forget him. Forgive him. So Peter then, he expands that a little. And Peter says, Lord, uh, how many times shall my brother uh, f- uh, sin against me and I forgive him? You know how many times, Lord? You know you know how rough it is. Seven times? That looks to me like it'd just be going way overboard, Lord. Seven times? And Jesus said, yes, I say unto you, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Boy, that, that is so contrary to human nature. Amen. How many of you are you still with me on what I'm talking about? See, we can put up with a with a fellow a couple of times, but after the third time, that's enough, right? See, if your husband doesn't make the right noises a couple of times, you know, and uh, you say, "I've been telling you that over and over and over and over and over again," and you still haven't heard it, that right, Pam? So my wife, we've been married 23 years, and she tells me almost every week, she said, you haven't changed a bit in 23 years. <laughs> so cheer up. Amen. Pat's nodding her head back there. That's right. See, you learn to adjust to the situation. But we, we just, we, we, we get this, we get this, uh, you see, and, and, and it isn't, it isn't that that we really that we really uh, we don't want to because really we know that we need to but but you know somehow we get wounded down inside and and our own personality and our ego we we get sick and tired and we say well look I'm I'm tired of it and so I'm not going to forgive you anymore but you see there's a secret to spiritual power here that we read and that secret to spiritual power is a unity of relationship among believers in Jesus Christ and this is a, this was a secret of David's power with his men was that their men were single heart they were of one heart and this is a picture uh, that we need to see and he gives us a beautiful illustration and I close with this what a picture is this parable here's a man and he said a certain king had a man that worked for him and he said, okay, it's time to give account. Let's get the books and get them straightened out. I want to know where I stand. And I want you to pay me what you owe me. So he brought the books to him and brought them before him. And lo and behold, he was in debt and overdrawn $15,180,000. And he was broke. And the king said, take him off and put him in prison. He's a criminal. But he had begged him, and he said, "Have mercy on me, and and I'll and I'll and I'll, I'll try to pay. I'll pay if you just have mercy on me." And the king had compassion on him because he besought him, and he said, "That's okay. I'm just going to have grace and mercy and forgiveness on you. You don't have to pay me anything. That whole debt is forgiven. Fifteen million, a hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Wow." So the man went out rejoicing on his way and he went down and lo and behold he ran across old Don Beasley and there's old Don Beasley and Don Beasley owed him $14. And he said, Don, where's that $14? Don said, I don't hate it. So he caught him by the throat. 
And he said, you pay that to me or you'll go to prison. He said, I don't have it. He said, then you're, and he took him, strangled him down and took him off and, and said, take this guy and put him in prison. He owed me $14. See, Jesus told that parable to illustrate our nature. Here we are in the presence of God. God will forgive us massive sins that are beyond description. $15,180,000. God just says, looks upon us with grace, and we said, you have mercy on me. And just simply because we say have mercy, God just wipes the slate clean and says, you're, you're out of debt. You don't owe me anything. You're a free man. And then we go out to our fellow man who does some minor thing against us in indebtedness and we catch him by the throat and said, Justice! <laughs> I don't I can't Pay it! Pay it! You pay up. I can't pay it! <laughs> Amen. Gonna get our pound of flesh. Justice is what we... Never mind mercy. And his master heard about this. He said, what did he do? They said, after you forgave him $15,180,000 debt, he went down to old Don Beasley that owed him $14, grabbed him by the throat, and had him put in prison. And he said, you go get that scoundrel and lock him up. He will never get out. And the Bible says that the Scripture declares, so God will do to every one of you and I if we not from our hearts forgive everyone that has sinned against us. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and no one's looking around, and the Holy Spirit's dealing over this congregation this morning, there are a multitude of people here that this scripture strikes into the depths of your heart. First of all, there are people here this morning that are unsaved. I want you to know, friend, that what I preached on this morning is one of the potent truths of God. It is a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that if you believe in Him, you not perish but have everlasting life. God so loves you that if you simply come and fall at His feet, He'll forgive you massive debts. And the scripture declares that that is what God will do to you. There are people here this morning unsaved. You're here this morning without hope and without God. You're here this morning with great need in your heart. And you are in need of God's forgiveness and of God's love. And you feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. Before we change the order of the service, I wonder how many would say, Pastor... I'd sure like to have an experience of forgiveness with a God of grace and mercy and love like that. Would you pray for me this morning? Would you slip your hand very quickly up and right back down and say, I need that God to forgive me, wash me of my sins, and to make of me a new creature and change me by His grace. Would you just take that step of faith and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? Remember me as you conclude this service because I need a relationship with a God that could love souls just like that. Would you slip it right up and right back down? All over this building is God's love deals in human hearts and lives. All over this building, would you slip that hand very quickly up and right back down and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I'm a backslider or I'm unsaved, but I just really need that relationship with God. Would you slip it right up and right back down? I see that hand. God love you. 
How many more lift your hand right up and right back down? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there are a multitude of people that have need of the touch of God in your lives. You need to be cleansed. You need to be forgiven. You need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. How many more slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need this experience with a God of grace like that. I wonder how many as we're seated here this morning, God's touched many hearts this morning. And I've talked about one of the key factors of spiritual release, of spiritual blessing, or of the blocking of the blessing of the Holy Spirit unto human hearts and lives. As we're seated in this building, I wonder how many with uplifted hand would say this morning, brother, this morning you've been speaking and God has touched my heart. I've got something in my heart that I've never cleansed out. I've got lack of forgiveness. I've got hatred. I've got resentment. I've harbored grudges. And down inside, these things are eating away as a cancer. And I don't want to go out of this building this morning without having that release from my heart. I see hands all over the building this morning lifted up in the presence of the Lord. Those things will destroy you, friend. God says you need to forgive them. God says you need to take a stand and get cleansed. God says this morning you need to get healed of that problem how many more lift your hands right up and right back down and say I want to get free from that this morning would you remember me in your closing prayer I see those hands see you need to actively activate energize and let God's releasing come and let forgiveness flow amen see life is real friend and people are people and people will be people until Jesus comes and changes them perhaps in business dealings Perhaps in personal relationships, perhaps in misunderstandings of details of daily living, perhaps in on the job, perhaps many things and many times come. See, we're as God's children, we are heir to the failings and the shortcomings of the flesh. But I want you to know God can heal human hearts. And if you refuse to forgive, you'll it'll destroy you. You'll be tormented. And you will block God's grace and mercy and the flowing of power to your own soul. I speak by experience. Though we may be wronged and though we may be maligned, we cannot allow resentment and hatred to destroy us because we become the losers. I wonder how many more with uplifted hand would say, Pastor, would you remember me before you change the order of this service all over this building? Amen. We're going to sing that chorus. I surrender all, I surrender all. We're going to stand together in the presence of the Lord. There are many that have lifted your hands. You need to come, find a place to pray. Many of you did not raise your hands that you need still to pray. And we're going to conclude this service by allowing these to make a decision and seal up and let the cleansing of the forgiving love of God flow in hearts and lives. Would you sing it? Would you come? Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.